My name is Mark, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you, especially as we celebrate this second weekend of Advent. And one of the things we have for you during this Advent season, one of our pastors, Valerie Webb, wrote a companion booklet to this series. If you haven't had an opportunity to pick that up, I encourage you to do, to do that right after the service. You can get it at the information desk in the middle of the lobby. And then also each weekend, we're having families in the church read the message scripture and light the Advent candle. And this morning, it's the Bond family. Let's welcome them as they read for us this morning. Matthew 2, 9 through 15. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Let's thank the Bonds for helping us celebrate Advent this morning. Well, speaking of celebrations, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend last week. Uh, we had a great time. It was a rich time. We went and spent Thanksgiving week with my best friend's Phil, my best friend Phil's wife and two sons. Most of you know that Phil passed away in June, and so it was very important for us to spend some time with his family. They live in Bend, Oregon, and if everything goes right, it takes about 10 hours to get there. Weatherman told us that there was going to be about four to six inches of snow over the course of Tuesday and Wednesday of Thanksgiving week. We left Tuesday morning, so I'm thinking, well, we'll probably get about half of that, maybe three inches or something like that, no big deal. Well, the weatherman was a tad off. They did not get four to six inches over the course of two days. They got 16 inches on Tuesday alone, pretty much during the hours that we were driving. <laughs> And uh, Highway 97, which is the highway that leads into Ben, it shut down for three hours. They couldn't even get tow trucks in. There was so much mayhem. We, we were fortunate. We only caught the last hour, but someone posted some, some video on Twitter of exactly where we were on the road. Check this out. This is where we were a week ago Tuesday. It was just like a big snowy parking lot up ahead of us. We were only 10 miles away from our friend's house, but we just sat there. One of my sons, who remained nameless, just kept going, Dad, when are we going to get there? And I'm like thinking, clearly you give me 
far more credit than I deserve. I can't really do anything about this sun, but it was amazing. I get two, three jackknife big rigs, more cars skidded off the road than we, we just lost count. It was incredible. But thankfully, thanks to the Lord and our trusty old Toyota four-wheel drive, we arrived 13 hours after leaving our driveway here in Santa Cruz, and it was just, again, a great time. As you might imagine, for Phil's wife and uh, their 11-year-old boys, the holidays look very different this year. This was not the hope. This was not the plan. But it's the reality. A reality that we are all adjusting to because clearly it is not going to adjust itself to us. Maybe you can relate, some of you, many of you. There are some tough facts in your life right now. And the thing about Christmas, Christmas makes the good things even better in our lives, but it makes the bad things worse. Because there's this promise of Christmas. There's, there's the promise of joy and peace and love and happiness, and that promise can collide with the tough facts of our lives. And again, some of you find yourself in that place right now. Studying this week, I came across an amazing sermon written over 1,600 years ago by a guy named John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom was Bishop of Constantinople, and he was regarded by the church for centuries, for much of Christian histories, as one of the greatest preachers ever. In fact, his name, Chrysostom, it's a given name, it's a title, it means golden throat or golden mouth. I mean, he was just that Good. I mean, we're talking about the Rene Schlepfer of his day. This is how good this guy was. But when I came across this, this quote, it just made me think of where so many people live. He says this. It's in, even in your notes, it's so good. The passage that we just heard about the flight to Egypt, he writes this. Joseph... When he had heard these things, was not offended, neither did he say, the thing is hard to understand. Didst thou not just say now that he should save his people? That's Matthew chapter 1. And now he saves not even himself, but we must fly and be far from home and be a long time away. The facts are contrary to the promise. And when I read that last phrase, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The facts are contrary to the promise. It's where a lot of people live at Christmas time. In fact, last week, Rene, uh, was such a wonderful sermon, but he was talking about how you can pretty much summarize just about every single Christmas story in Scripture with three little words, change of plans. You remember that? Joseph's betrothed to Mary, change of plans, she's now pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph decides to quietly divorce her, change of plans. Angel says, go ahead, marry her, take her as your wife. 
And it just goes on, change of plans, change of plans. You know, no room at the inn, no crib for a bed. It, even the Magi that we heard about in this morning's reading, even they had to go home by another way. More change of plans, and no sooner do the Magi leave than party's over. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Does that blow your mind that Joseph and Mary have to flee in order to save the Savior? That God would start out his journey on this earth as a refugee? I mean, talk about the facts being contrary to the promise. And if you've never been in a situation where you feel that way, I've got news for you, you will. There will come a time where you're going to find yourself in a place where the facts are contrary to the promise. What are you going to do? Will you be buried under the cold, hard facts? Or will you somehow rise above them? Will you still be hopeful? Will you still have confidence? Will you still have joy? The answer to that question comes down, I believe, depends entirely on where you place your faith. Do you place it just in the facts always being good? Or does your faith rest on the promise, the promise of who God is and what he's doing in this world? Ask yourself this. This is another way of thinking of the question. What am I counting on? What are you counting on? Perfect marriage? Perfect kids, perfect health, perfect Christmas. Good luck, because sometimes the facts are contrary to the promise. And so I want to just give you three simple truths this morning, three things that you can always count on, that I can always count on. And then I want to introduce you to a remarkable man. I've just known him a couple days, but this is a man who is living this sermon, a man whose facts all around him are contrary to the promise because this is a refugee story, and this man lives amidst about two million refugees in Jordan. You're going to meet him in just a moment, but first of all, these three truths that we can take to the bank, that we can count on no matter what, even when we're surrounded by tough facts, and the first one is this, when I don't know why... God does. You might want to write that down. When I don't know why, God does. Do you think that Joseph and Mary saw this trip to Egypt coming? <laughs> no way. And yet there they are, on the road, looking over their shoulder, wondering if, if Herod's assassins are going to close into them. I mean, is, is that, was that really the plan? Really? Well, as a matter of fact, it was. Because look what Matthew says at the end of verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, what, what's Matthew getting at? Just circle and underline that little phrase, and so was fulfilled. Because he's reaching back into the Old Testament to a verse that no one thought was written about Jesus. And he says, well, actually... It just got fulfilled with this trip to Jesus. So let, let's just take a little trip back there. Put your thinking caps on. We go all the way back to the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. 
When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So there's Matthew's little quote right there. But look what the next verse says in Hosea. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. In other words, even after I took them out of Egypt, even after I delivered them from their bondage and everything else that he would do for them, you know, the manna and Ten Commandments and parting the Red Sea and and all of these things, even so, he says, the more I called them, the more they went away. In other words, they, they continually rebelled. Now, the plan was for Israel to be a light to all the other nations, but guess what? The plan didn't work out so well. They failed over and over again, just like we all fail over and over again to represent God faithfully to the world around us. But what Matthew is saying is that this trip that seems so random, in doing so, God is going to retrace Israel's past in person. He's going to go to the very place where the patriarchs like Abraham went and Joseph went and Jacob went and where the nation began. He says, I am going to be the Israel that Israel could not be. I will become like you in every way except for your sins. I am going to bear your sufferings. I'm going to cry your tears. And yes, I will carry your sins on me. I will be for you what you could never be for yourself. And Matthew says, and that was being fulfilled right in that moment. Even as a toddler, Jesus is already identifying with his people. He's already taking up his cross as a toddler, as a refugee. Now, did Mary and Joseph see all that? Did they go, oh, this is obvious, of course. There's no way. They didn't know why, but God did. Now, think of your own life, the wise. Why, is it, why did someone you love not survive the surgery or not survive the, the chemo when other people have? Why do many chain smokers, or some at least, live into their 90s, and my friend Phil, who never smoked, die of lung disease at 51? We don't have the answers to all the whys. We have the general answer that sin, death, Disease are rampant in this world. That's generally the answer. But in the specifics, that's where it dogs us. Why this? Why there? Here's what I do know. God has a plan and a purpose that will not be derailed for your life or my life or the people that we love. In fact, God even promises, a very familiar verse to many of you in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know... That in all things, good things, bad things, ugly things, God works for the good. He works for the good. He doesn't say they're all good. We know better than that. But he will work for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what I hang on to for Phil's wife and his boys. His loss is not a good thing, but I know that God is working for the good right now in their lives. If that wasn't true... What do you have? You despair. And so I claim the promise. I rest in the promise that when I don't know why, 
God does. And you can rest in that same promise too. Even when you, you can't put the calculus all together. And that really leads to the second truth. When I don't know how God does. When I don't know how he's going to somehow redeem my pain and my losses, he does. Again, case in point, Mary and Joseph. They had no warning that they were going to have to go to Egypt. There was no uh, heads up, and yet God provided for them. I mean, how were they going to buy food? How were they going to keep a roof over their head? Oh, that's right. Right before they had to go, the Magi what? Well, they gave gold, frankincense, myrrh. You think that that got utilized during that time in Egypt? You better believe it did. And we understand the value of gold, but frankincense and myrrh, what's that? It's like some spice that's buried back in my cupboard or something like that. Now, expert scholars believe that because ancient cultures valued frankincense and gold and myrrh so much, these were gifts reserved for kings. Because they valued that so much that in the time of Jesus, they speculate that the value of of those things was perhaps at an all-time high in the history of the world, that in today's dollars they estimate that frankincense would go for at least $500 a pound, and myrrh, even more precious, is estimated to be worth, at the time of Jesus, over $5,500 a pound. And so what might have looked like Jesus's college fund when the Magi arrived, well, it at least paid the bills down in Egypt. Now, again, they did not see that coming, but God did. And so when he said, get up and go, they just went. Well, how about you? What is a situation in your life where the nagging question is how? How is God going to provide for this? How is God going to get us through? Maybe you have a dream. You have a ministry. You feel called. You feel down in your soul. God just keeps bringing this back to your mind over and over again. He's saying, get up and go, and you're stuck on how. How? Well, you may not know how. But if God truly intends for you to go in that direction, he does. I mean, he, after all, knows how to spin up galaxies and resurrect the dead. I think he knows how to meet our needs. In fact, if I've learned anything in my own journey, it's that God will give me what I need when I need it. Now, sometimes I think I need things that I don't need, so there's a need to be discerning and wise. But when God... Guides, God what? God provides, even when I don't know how. Finally, third simple little truth, when I don't know why God does, when I don't know how God does, and when I don't know what's next, God does. Did you notice what the angel tells Joseph when he says, get up, flee, take the child and his mother to Egypt? And then he says this, he says, Stay there until I what? Tell you. He doesn't say, stay there for six months. Stay there for a year. You know, I'm, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, wait, 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 time out, time out. How long are we going to be down there? Like, you know, a year? Two? Ten? Rest of our lives? How long? Until I tell you. And I wonder if for some of us this morning, God has put you in a waiting room of sorts. There's some facts in your life. You are longing for them to change. 
And it could, could it just be that what he's telling you is not, well, this is going to go until, you know, March of next year. We're just hanging in there for three more weeks. He's saying, stay there until I tell you. I'll tell you, but for now, I just want you to wait and to put your hope in me and to trust in me until I take you to that next place. What is the waiting room in your life, the thing that you, you just want to know what is that? You know, what will, will 2016, will that be a better year or a worse year? What, what will happen? I don't know. God does. Or I know there's a question that's probably plaguing many of you. What about the 49ers? Are they ever going to be good again? I mean, what is next for them? Don't know. Here's the bottom line. The facts always change. You know this from your own life. The facts always change. Good news is this. God's purposes and promises never change. I mean, your health, it's going to change. Your looks, it's going to change. Your hair, just ask Renee. Your family, going to change. The facts are always changing, but God's purposes and promises, they never change for us. Here's a great example. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 22, where it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What? Hoping for the best? No. Guaranteeing what is to come. Amen indeed. This is God's purpose for you. This is God's promise to you. you, If you live in that reality, if that presses itself down into your heart where you truly trust, you can have joy whatever the circumstances are in your life. You can have peace. And in a second, you're going to meet someone who will prove that to you. But man, don't you think the world could use people that are a little bit more joyful, a little bit more peaceful? Do you think our world has a surplus of people like that? People with quiet confidence who live not only for themselves, but because of the joy and gratitude and love they have for the Lord, they're willing to live on behalf of others. Don't you want to be that kind of person? I mean, isn't that the life we all want? Isn't that why we are part of church? Well, this last Thursday, I, I was introduced to a man over the phone named Jamal Hashway. Jamal lives in Jordan. Jordan has a population just under 7 million people. They have absorbed over 2 million refugees to date since 1991, primarily from Syria and Iraq. Jamal, who was trained to be an accountant, now works in full-time ministry trying to meet the needs of these refugees. You, if you were here this summer and you heard Valerie talk about her trip to Jordan, she talked about this man, this, this amazing guy who finds ways to you know, find a refrigerator for this person or transportation for that person, just constantly kind of working angles, using his business acumen and his entrepreneurial spirit to, to meet needs and talk about a guy who, where the facts 
are contrary to the, the promise all around him. And then I'm talking to him on the phone, and he's joyful, and he's hopeful, and he's encouraging me. And I was thinking, man, I, I sure wish that, that you guys could just eavesdrop on this conversation, but we got something better because J- Jamal's here. Let's give him a very warm welcome. Let's welcome Jamal. All right, Jamal, have a seat. It is such a privilege to have you here this morning at Twin Lakes Church. Uh, we were out at dinner with Jamal last night, myself, my brother, Valerie, Renee, Lori. And here's a guy who is surrounded by immense needs, immense needs. And yet he's encouraging us. He's inspiring us. And so, uh, Jamal, I'd love for you to share a little bit of what you, you shared last night to help us understand what it's like in Jordan right now. I mean, we, all we get our information from is from the media, but you, you, you're on the ground there, and you shared last night about a man named Nashwan, Nashwan from an Iraqi refugee. Could you tell us a little bit of his story? Well, first of all, I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and also bring you the greetings of your brothers and sisters that are Alive in the Middle East, there are many that follow Jesus Christ today. I can tell you of hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ all throughout the Muslim world today. That's not in the news. People don't share that because it doesn't help their economy. But I tell you what, um, we are going to be surprised, a big surprise when we see multitudes of people we never thought would be in heaven, they'll be there. Continue to pray that the Lord will use ways you know, different ways, and the Lord has His ways to bring people maybe out of their comfort zone, take them to another country, and then bring them to Himself. This um, wonderful friend, his name is Nashwan, is part of quarter a million of uh, cultural Christian uh, people that actually left the northern part of Iraq, and mainly because ISIS came and they gave them kind of three options. One option is that you would become a Muslim and would let you stay here. And the second option, that you pay us large amounts of money. And the third option, if you actually don't leave, you may face death. So they had just literally to leave and uh, go to just places, unknown future, but knowing that God cares for them. This guy, Nashwan, Uh, came back to his village when he heard that ISIS came and surrounded the village to rescue his own family. He was uh, a lieutenant in the Iraqi police. And um, as he actually uh, came to rescue the family, found out that the neighbors already took his family and his mother outside into Kurdistan where there's more safety there. And as he was leaving, the place was surrounded by the terrorists, and they actually got him with 16 others, tortured him for 17 days. And then on the 17th day, somebody came and said, well, I know you. You helped me two years ago. You gave me your own personal car. When my wife was pregnant and she was to go to hospital, I didn't have any vehicle. You came, you Christian, you gave me your car just to go and, and just literally help my wife. And you said, keep the car as long as you need it. I'll never forget that. Tonight, I'm going to take you 
to safety when everybody's asleep without any, anybody knowing, actually drove him out and took him to the borders uh, of Kurdistan and had him walk for a few hours. And then when he arrived at the borders, <laughs> the Kurds thought that he was from ISIS. So they took him and tortured him for another 13 days. Just what a story. That guy was just really, definitely, uh, totally shattered. Uh, but at the end, uh, on the day of his trial to be just sentenced to prison for three, four years, the judge recognized him. He said, I know your father. We actually work together. And you're a Christian. What are you doing here? And he told the, the other officers, why did you bring this guy? And just he let him out. Now, it's a long story just to cut it short. He went now looking for his family. For 70 days, he went to 40 different villages and cities just looking to find his family. He could not find them. Finally, he saw a relative who told him, your family is actually in Jordan. They made it safely there. And I know how to get in touch with them. So right there on Skype, his picture was there, and his wife could not believe. She thought he was dead. And now the family is together. He was able to fly into Amman and uh, join his family. Now, more complications took place because this guy that owned two beautiful houses and cars and everything for his children, he told me his little kid had three bicycles. Now he doesn't have a little car to play with in a little home uh, there in Amman. We were able to help them uh, with some pay paying their rent, getting them some groceries and all that. His wife, because of the, uh, what happened to her, uh, has some cancer now, and we're praying the Lord will heal her. And also, we're helping also with the medical uh, part of that story. Nashwan, at the end of that visit, when we heard his story, I told him, uh, Jesus cares for you. What you have done is great. You're just like Simon the Cyrene. Mm. You know, you carried the cross of Jesus with Jesus, but you never met him face to face. Now, I want to introduce you to the Jesus you have never known. At the end of that time, the whole family stood up with tears coming down, said yes to Jesus. Amen? That's the way. That's the way. And uh, Nashwan today is uh, a volunteer helping with us in our ministry, helping other people. And this is the way to go. Now, we have 50,000 others like Nashwan around us, literally in the same category, in addition to one and a half million Syrian refugees. Pray for us as we continue to serve them, to tell them that Jesus cares. And the Jesus way is not, I love you, bless you, go and be fed and be cared for. This is sometimes, so many times, our way. But Jesus came all the way from heaven and gave all he got for us. Mm -hmm. What can we give to others? Because whatever we do, Unto the least of them, we're actually doing it to Jesus. Yes. Uh, well, uh, and he just has story after story after story like this. Uh, but one of the issues right now, one of the projects you have, Iraqi refugees have no status in Jordan. They don't get the same level of help as other refugees. And while some of them can, they have the means to get their children into school. It's only a partial solution because they can't afford the transportation in particular and other practical needs. And so there, there can be Iraqi children. You told me about some. They've just been sitting for months and months. They should be in school, but they can't. And, and that can lead to, obviously, problems down the line. And so you're, you're addressing that head on. Uh, speak to that. 
Well, actually, yeah, as we visit uh, families, we, we found that uh, schooling actually is available for them and is paid for, but all they need is really the transportation to, to go, you know, with bus and also some stationery, which is about 400 US dollars per person for one full year. Mm -hmm. uh, so if that amount is provided, that boy that now is sitting at home will be able to be actually at school. And uh, I, it was so sad when I met one little boy a year and a half away from school, and I told him, how's your reading? He said, I'm forgetting how to read and write. I said, what? I mean, we're in the 21st century, and these guys, you know, just a year and a half ago, went to the best schools in Iraq, and their families paid for them. Now they're sitting at home. So I really feel this is very much on my heart to help the kids at least not lose the chance of just being like other kids get the edu education. And so we've had a fund for uh, refugees in Jordan since last summer, since Valerie returned. It's not a, we haven't beat that drum very much, but many of you have been very generous towards that. We've already turned over uh, many thousand dollars to the work effort there. And you're, you're doing so much, Twin Lakes Church, between 2020 and the food drive and a giving grove and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to at all risk in a compassion fatigue here. But if during the course of time you would like to make a difference there, you can always just give a gift, either memo your check or write it on the envelope in the, the pew racks in front of you that you want it to go to Jordan refugees. And then we're working with Jamal and missionaries uh, that we've worked with for over 40 years to meet some of these practical needs. And so the mechanism is always there if you want. There's also some notes, uh, a little box at the bottom of your notes about a refugee project that's happening in Modesto right now. Cost of living is much cheaper there, and so that's the nearest project. It's uh, global, re excuse me, worldreliefmodesto.org. You can check that out. The dresses that are out in the lobby this morning were handmade by refugees in Jordan, and this, this gives them a marketable trade and skill. All the funds go back to them to support their families as well. So if you're looking for some Christmas gift ideas, that's a great gift with a great cause and benefit behind it. Uh, but lastly, how can we be praying for you? I mean, you're, you're in the trenches. You're on the front lines of one of the greatest humanitarian crises of this millennia and so far. How can we pray for you and your family? Well, um, I have one wife and three children, and in the Middle East you have to specify, by the way, one <laughs> wife, so it's a, um, I think it's enough to have one wife now, but <laughs> I don't know how they do with Some two or three wives. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, pray for us as a family, because this is like we're, um, the Lord has called us into this. And I tell you one thing, every day I want to get out of this. Honestly, it's, it's too, too heavy. But we will not, because the Lord has asked us to do this. Just pray that the Lord will help us to continue uh, we do this by faith. It's a faith movement with global hope. So pray for us that the Lord will supply uh, the needs there. And also for my staff, uh, we have about 20 in the Arab countries. Uh, just pray that the Lord also will give them the strength to continue. What was mentioned is the compassion fatigue. You know, after some time, you really are so burdened to the point that when after a day of visiting few homes, you literally want to go home and go to bed. Just right away. You don't want to think of anything else. Don't want to eat. Don't do anything, you know. So just pray for us that we'd be able to continue 
with this calling, uh, fresh with the joy of the Lord. I mean, last night I woke up at two o'clock and I had this wonderful time with Jesus, you know, for two hours. And I tell you, there is nothing in the world like this. You just get refreshed. You speak to the Father. You enjoy the name of Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do His work. Don't even try to do His work in your strength. I have tried. You fail. Mm. Need to do His work with His power. And then things will be different for the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And just a footnote, while you're saying that, Jamal, I was thinking that perhaps one of the reasons God doesn't always tell us why or how or what's next is because it compels us to do just what you said, to wholly trust in Him, Amen. to just be completely dependent and be aware ever and always that it is through His strength, His power, His will, that anything gets accomplished Amen. for His good. Yeah, let's thank Jamal one more time for being with us here today. Now, don't leave. Glory to the Lord. Jamal asked us to pray for him. Are you going to be praying for him? Okay, I, I, so that we don't make liars out of ourselves, we're going to pray for them right now, if there's no other time. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my dear brother in the Lord, Jamal. I pray for him, for his wife, for his children. I pray, Lord, that you would protect their hearts, that uh, you would continue to fill, him, uh, fill them with love and with joy and with the hope that can only come through you, through your strength, through your spirit. And Lord, I pray that as they continue to depend on you to meet the needs of, of thousands upon thousands of refugees, that Lord, suffering beyond what most of us can imagine or will ever experience, I pray, Lord, that you would sustain them and that you would bless them and that they would continue to marvel at how uh, you work in, in such... Uh, desperate situations to bring hope, to bring uh, life to the least of these. And so, Lord, protect him and encourage him and give him the rest and the vitality that he needs to serve you in your strength. And we pray the same thing for ourselves here in Santa Cruz. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you again, and uh, God bless you. We love you.